I won't let this keep chewing up more and more people. I won't let messed up parents keep making monsters. And I won't let these boys keep making more final girls. It's not some profound and ancient ritual. It's just a waste of a life. If you liked that quote, then there's much more for you to love about this week's book. The Umbra Silicone. Amber Speed. Sound production, take one. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to another episode of the Unbound Cinefim. I'm Avery, your host, and I'm with a very special bookworm friend of mine. Go ahead and introduce yourself to the people. Hi, everyone. This is Noah, the bookworm in the flesh. <laughs> All right, we're coming to you today um, with a review on one of my favorite books that I've read in 2022, although it came out in 2021. And that book would be The Final Girl Support Group by Grady Hendrix. Now, I persuaded Noah to get this book um, because, first of all, why not? It's great. And two, I thought it would make a great, uh, a great episode for this podcast. So uh, before we get into the synopsis, of course, we're going to talk about um, our expectations for the book, how we felt about it, etc., etc., and so on and so forth. Are we ready to get into it? Let's get into it. All right. So, um, me being a horror fan myself, it's no surprise um, how I felt about this book going into it. I was a little unsure of it just because horror books have never really been my thing. Um, my Nana used to have horror books, but like the, you know, the really thick, small paperback books mm -hmm. where I was like... It, it was very adult, and I was eight years old trying to read them, um, taking them to my classroom, trying to read them during, during like, little break time. Not during class. No, literally. <laughs> I thought I was on something. Um, so that was the only horror genre that I tried to read, and it just never, it never sat right with me, right? And then I picked this up um, back in February, I want to say, March or February, and I loved it. Um, I loved the premise of it. And I really loved how Grady Hendrix wrote it. Now, tell us tell us what you think. I had very high expectations because, I mean, you kind of were ranting and raving about it. <laughs> I think you had told me about the book multiple times. And I'm kind of like the same. I never really have read horror books before. I read a few Stephen King novels. And I know he's like horror aficionado. Like, everyone who reads horror, like, always talks about him. Um, but... Honestly, I had really high expectations and I feel like Grady Hendrix met me where I was expecting him mm -hmm. to meet me. He did an amazing job and now like I'm such a romance reader. All of y'all romance like novel lovers, you already know. It's the delusion in me. Like I just love to live <laughs> vicariously through it. But like this was such a different feeling. I was so gripped. I was like reading chapter after chapter after chapter. Like he did an amazing job. I definitely agree. Um, I think in my Goodreads review, I said how I, like, even when I wasn't reading the book, I was thinking about reading the book. Yes. And that's how you know that you've got yourself a winner in your mm -hmm. hands. Um, so we will go ahead and get into it. Let's get into the synopsis, baby. <laughs> <laughs> so um, the final girl support group follows like it says um a group of final girls and they have a therapeutic support group kind of like alcoholics anonymous or the the one for for dr for drugs whatever that one's called NA. there we go mm -hmm. um so it's kind of like that but you know for their trauma because they are very much like mm, jamie lynn spears from halloween they're like um oh what's the girl's name from from friday um from friday the 13th um that's okay. The one from uh, Nightmare on Elm Street. Listen, just because I don't know their names doesn't mean I'm any less of a horror aficionado. Right, Thank you very much. Straight, 100%. So. Um, so Grady Hendrix really did um, fuel his inspiration from the horror movies that we already have within our culture. So Halloween with Jamie Lynn Spears, um, Friday the 13th, Nightmare on Elm Street, um, 
but he also built his own within this story. And so the story follows Lynette, and she is very paranoid about life itself. Um, she had her run-in with a serial killer at the age of 16, where her whole family died. And um, so she has been in the support group for a pretty, for a you know, pretty big chunk of her life. And um, suddenly they are starting to be killed off one by one. Um, and so, you know, in this support group, one of the, the leaders, I would say, the one who's the most quote-unquote successful after her um, run-in with a serial killer, she ends up dead one day. And, you know, that's what they talk about in the support group. And you see all of their different um, opinions and attitudes in terms of, you know, being quote-unquote stuck in the past or, um, you know, maybe it's not maybe it's not the same thing that we all went through and, you know, whatever the case may be. Right. And so then Lynette goes on to her own journey of trying to figure out who's the killer, what's happening, especially when you know each final girl is starting to be killed off one by one right it's almost like a conspiracy with her and the other girls don't really take her that seriously she's very stuck and she says this a lot because it's for it's from her narration you're following lena and like it's written in first person which i normally don't really like but I really enjoyed it. Um, and she keeps saying the same thing, which is like, it never happens just once. It's never over. Like, she is very deep in her paranoia of this happening again. And it almost makes you kind of think, is she an unreliable narrator? Because compared mm. to everybody else's takes on what happened to the other girl, Adrian, um, they're all kind of thinking like, this is a one and done. Like, the guy came back, of course, like the monsters always come back. And it's really interesting to see her kind of be the only one diving into almost everyone thinks she's just completely delusional. Yeah. And I mean, their belief is not completely unbased because the way that Lynette lives her life is unlike all of the others. Now, this book really shows how, um, you know, people who go through kind of the same traumatic experience they can all deal with trauma in a different way and so with Lynette she lives in seclusion she lives in the middle of the city but she has bars on her window she has like a an electric gate around her door so that nobody can get in um she only really fills her life with one plant and that plant is literally like a dog to her but it's a plant um and you know she even in the book she talks about how she doesn't wear headphones in public she um doesn't you know look at her phone in public she she just wears her hoodie up sunglasses on and she stays alert and um so you know it's to the other women it's very much like you're just you're just paranoid you know you have Marilyn who lives a lavish life in the public eye um you know you have Adrian who did multiple sequels of her you know of her movie that was based off of her you know her situation uh, so you as this as this world kind of unfolds in front of you um each each woman's trauma is kind of also unfolded, you know? So you learn about how um, Marilyn was killed in this world's version of the Texas Chainsaw Massacre. And then right. how, um, you know, another girl was killed in this world's version of, um, oh, oh my gosh, Billy from Scream. I mean, Ghostface, but, mm -hmm. um, you know, Billy Loomis in Scream. Um, and so, but I at think this, that was Heather. Yeah, prob probably. And Heather, you know, Heather dealing with this trauma, she she is addicted to alcohol and she does drugs pretty frequently. Mm -hmm. And, you know, so you see these attitudes with trauma develop into very different, unique characters. Well, you know, the more and more that Lynette feels like somebody's watching them, somebody's trying to, you know, kill them, she turns to her therapist, and her therapist is, um, you know, willing to take her in, willing to help her look into it, but while she's at her therapist's house, she finds stuff that is a little mm, red flaggy, you know, right. and so, you know, you have this kind of whodunit situation where, Oh, it has to be the therapist. And then the more how you said Lynette is a little bit of an unreliable narrator. Mm -hmm. It, you know, then it, the finger points to Lynette because you do realize everything that she's saying does not completely add up, especially when 
you find, you know, all of these other women's backstories with their serial killer, but Lynette's is just very much... Mm, she, she's giving us details crumb by crumb right and she was never seen by the others as a real final girl because mm-hmm. she never killed her monster as they like to call mm-hmm. them like she played dead in her story mm-hmm. she literally just played dead and hoped that she would make it out alive and she did and i think that that kind of is why she's so paranoid like it's almost like she's in constant survival mode she has Mm -hmm. to survive no matter what yeah and so each you know each woman's run-in with you know a serial killer Mm -hmm. was turned into a franchise of some kind was turned into merch was turned into um you know kind of like this this moment in time where a lot of people were obsessed with their stories and i think that might be why lynette kind of feels like it's never over because you have this constant reminder through the media and through Hollywood where it's like this happened to you and all of these people see it as a fictionalization of your situation. Yes. I think Grady Hendrix does a great like way of displaying the way that they're almost like celebrities, the final girls. They're very much treated like celebrities. They have books. They have, like you said, like the, the movie franchises, people, literally they're used as marketing like their stories and i think that's what makes um dr carol so like it's almost you don't believe that it could be her Mm because she's the only one who like is there for these girls and doesn't see them as like a marketing ploy to create a book based off of them or create anything based off of them she has been there for i think they say it's 15 years and for 15 years she's just sat and listened to their stories even when after 15 years they don't even have anything to talk about they just kind of bicker and fight and that's all they like do at the beginning of the book and they she's still there for them so it really does make you think like is Lynette the crazy one like is she actually what everyone thinks like because they even say in the group because they mention how they're thinking about stopping the support group and she's like no we need to do this for heather so she can stay sober we're all here for her and then they all turn to her and they're like i thought we were here because of you Mm. because you're the unstable one Mm -hmm. and it really plays on that yeah and I think that also, you know, throughout the book, we see the character of Lynette kind of turn her back to the world because she is so scared of what the world can do to her. And outright, she doesn't want to say that she enjoys going to the support group. She makes it seem like a chore to her. Mm -hmm. And yet at some point in the book, we see that you know, she, when they talk about ending ending the support group, she's the one who fights against it. And right. so I think the support group gave her a reason to live life a little bit. Because yeah. that's the only time that she would really get out of her apartment unless it was, you know, to get groceries or something. Um, but also, you, even though the bond is not um, apparent, I think over 15 years, you would build a bond with these women that you all have this shared trauma with and you've all heard each other's stories and I think that's why when the finger was being pointed at Dr. Carol it was she just seemed like the only one that made the most sense because she you know she never did try to um she never tried to commodify their trauma however she still was in the spotlight for it because she was the therapist the therapist of their support group Mm -hmm. and the thing about it is that this support group was not something that everybody necessarily knew about they knew very secret yeah and so when when the first killing happens that's why a lot of people are like well it's or you know the women in the support group were like it's probably just a one-time thing and then um lynette and maria the one in the wheelchair julia oh Mm -hmm. my gosh y'all i have not (laughs) read this book since february please give me a break um but julia she's in a wheelchair Mm -hmm. and um she comes to lynette's door with some other person um but they end up getting attacked while they're in her apartment all together and that's what really makes lynette you know connect connect two and two together yeah it's like almost it's a trick because at first julia 
Julie is the only one who knows where Lin- Lynette lives. Mm-hmm. She gave it to her for a very specific reason. She left her address in an envelope and she said, don't open this unless something's wrong. I'm missing. Mm-hmm. And Julia, they're thinking about ending the support group and Julia really wanted to talk to her. And she plays this sick joke on her where she gets another, like, a reporter that they know very well to dress up as, like, their own version of, like, the ghost. And, like, Lynette opens the door to try and shoot them because, like, the ghost because she's scared. She, she's trying to help Julia. And then it just becomes this crazy, like, fire shootout where there's just bullets raining through the entire apartment nobody really knows what's going on it's super hectic and chaotic reading it you're like what is even happening mm-hmm. because you think that it's a ghost you find out it's actually a reporter they're talking about somebody wrote a book and you're like okay somebody's trying to write a book about the support group and then all this gunfire happens and Julia gets shot. The reporter seems to be down and Lynette just takes a run for it. Mm -hmm. While all of this is happening in this universe up until this point um, with Adrian's um, murder, Mm -hmm. she was at her campsite when it happened and a few other teenagers at the campsite were also murdered. But there's one survivor and her name is Stephanie. And Lynette sees this on the news and she's kind of you know like her heart's kind of going out to her just in the in the sense that now this situation is going to be sensationalized and now you know she has a she has a life um ahead of her that's filled with you know endorsements and filled with franchises and she's never going to be able to get over this trauma it's basically reliving what you went through over and over and over again and i think she almost sees her kind of like someone that she can help because she's been through this before and she kind of thinks because i think stephanie did she kill her monster stephanie uh, yeah yeah she did she did um which you know lynette sees herself in stephanie um Mm -hmm. but i think even when she does see stephanie the thought kind of goes through her mind where it's like she's a real final girl everyone says i'm not a real one but she's a real one because she actually got to kill her monster and get away from it um so you have all of those all of those things playing out and this is where i'm going to call spoilers because because things get real real spicy real juicy quick Mm -hmm. all right um so if you plan to read the book do not want it spoiled um please do not listen further thank you for listening and we will now be continuing so um information is soon revealed in the book that lynette had a relationship with the chief of police or the lead officer in charge of her case when she was 16 Mm -hmm. which mm, police and an underage girl right we never really touched base on that no but (laughs) is it surprising i don't think so um and her killer is still in prison and actually Mm -hmm. lynette the killer the first time um was a guy that everyone thought lynette was interested in and they tried to place blame on her yes because they find out that she had a relation with the officer because Lynette has these letters that get leaked describing an intimate, almost what it seems like to be a very intimate relationship with the killer where it portrays like she convinced him to kill her entire mm-hmm. family. But And then doesn't his brother, the killer's brother, seek out revenge on her for a second time? Yes, he's the second time, like her second moment as a final girl, I yeah. would say. Which, so in that moment, she does kill him, right? No, she's no? never killed. Wow. Mm-hmm. She still didn't kill him. Yeah, and so that kind of just goes back to how we said, you know, she has this constant fear of it's never over, you know, they will come back because... I mean, for her, her killers are dead. At least the first one, the first killer, I think he actually committed suicide. But his brother is in prison. His brother is in prison. Yeah. yeah. And so it's like at any moment, he could he could just, you know, get out or decide to get out. Which I do think they release him towards, towards the end, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and so, you know, she has all of these anxieties on top of trying to solve this 
this murder case on her own because nobody else wants to believe her. Nobody. She's literally just doing this all on her own, frantically driving around town in this, like, she had so many different escape routes, like, Mm -hmm. three different escape routes she's been trying, literally just running on her own survival resources. My girl is good at organization. Mm -hmm. I I must say, I could never reach her level of planning. She's gotta be an earth sign for sure. Oh, I mean, I'm an earth sign (laughs) and I'm still all over the place. Mm T. So, (laughs) um, she eventually makes up this plan where she's going to kidnap Stephanie because she is under the impression that the this killer on the loose is coming after Stephanie next. Yeah. And oh, that was weird. <laughs> and so she drives to I don't even remember where Stephanie is, but you know, it's somewhere in California. Maybe it's not even in California, but I know yeah. she takes a road trip. And um so she drives and she ends up kidnapping Stephanie. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, they're on the road. They end up stopping at Chrissy's house, which Chrissy is another final girl, but she broke herself off from the group. Um, I mean, I would say next to Lynette, Chrissy has the the most, or her trauma response is the most, like, concealed, I yeah. guess. You know, like, she has all of these guns and she has all of these ideas in terms of if someone were to invade her space, invade her property, like she's killing them on site mm-hmm. um and that's eventually that's inevitably what she tries to do but the thing with chrissy is that she has always succumbed to the like the commodification of everyone's trauma yes and chrissy's seen as an outcast by the other final girls because mm-hmm. she's actually in love with her monster she yeah. is like in a stockholm syndrome type of situation yeah, and there several times Chrissy has tried to sell the other girls information mm-hmm. for money, for a quick buck. You know, she would do anything for a check. Yeah, and she gives that money to serial killers in jail. She puts mm-hmm. it into their bank accounts. Like, I forget what it's called. You know, the... Mm-hmm prison accounts that they have i don't i don't i just know prison pal (laughs) y'all know what i'm talking about the little (laughs) bank account for commissary Mm. she literally sells all of these personal items like the knife from some specific like murder case and she'll sell it and put it into a killer's account she Mm -hmm. has almost like this fixation with their to her their saviors Mm -hmm. well and she even like, she doesn't see them as monsters, but as troubled people who need coddling, almost. Yes. Um, and so, you know, they're sitting in her house, and she has this husband of hers, which, from the description, uh, I don't know. He just didn't sound appealing to me. Absolutely but, not. <laughs> maybe that's my opinion. Um, but she takes Stephanie and Lynette out to her barn. And in this barn, they find that Chrissy has been working on a museum for Final Girls. And so each room is a different, you know, it represents a different Final Girl. And, you know, the moment that inevitably changed their lives. But once they get to Lynette, that's when we actually, I think, learn about what happened to Lynette specifically. Like, we get all of the details yeah it it literally tells the entire story chrissy goes into the whole story of lynette and then but it's really interesting because her room is actually completely empty Mm -hmm. and then they talk about the story and chrissy literally tells her i left the room empty because your story is not over you will be the final final girl and i think then the finger shifts from everybody who it was previously Mm -hmm. to Chrissy now um which it doesn't make it any better for Chrissy when um they get into a a brawl Mm -hmm. and Chrissy and and her mans try to attack Stephanie Mm -hmm. and um Lynette so they are able to escape they're on the turnpike um or interstate whatever and um Lynette has to pull over for some reason I don't remember why but she gets out the car and Stephanie's like oh I'm gonna take a phone call real quick so you know she goes over she's having a whispered conversation and then that's like 
girl, why are you whispering? Right, but yeah. she doesn't, you know, she... Stephanie being a final girl, it's like, you have no reason to be guilty. Yeah, they also bonded a lot on this, like, hours and hours of road trip that Mm -hmm. they've been taking just all around California. And she literally feels like she actually, in her mind, has called Stephanie her little sister's name before. It's like this sisterly bond that she feels connected with Stephanie. Yeah, and it's only one more example of Lynette looking for some sort of connection with with a person. She robs herself of that because of her fear, and so in every opportunity that she has to build some sort of connection, I think she almost, like, overcompensates. Um, And she, you know, she puts a lot more emotion and effort into it than the other person per se yeah for someone who's untrusting she becomes very trustworthy when she thinks that you are a good person you're good like if she forms a bond with you immediately like walls Mm -hmm. down yeah and so then their next destination is danny's farm yeah because she's Something told Lynette that Danny was next. It was actually Stephanie. Stephanie said that she felt like Danny would be the perfect person to go to because Stephanie was actually Danny's super fan almost. Like mm. she and she says like all the other girls are done with Lynette. She's made phone calls to all of them. She's texted them. Nobody wants to pick up anymore because Literally, Lynette says she thinks it's Dr. Carol, and Dr. Carol's with all these girls telling them it's not her, and they all think Lynette's crazy. Mm-hmm. And Danny's the only one who, you know, her wife just died. Like, throughout the book, her wife is really ill and ends up dying. And she's, like, on this farm alone. It's seclusion. I'm sorry, but the way that she died, mm-hmm. they took her out of hospice <laughs> and set her in a park next to an old man. Y'all, this book is wild. Like, <laughs> we're not even doing the chaos justice by explaining no. this. <laughs> it's so crazy. So, they go to Danny's house and... um once they get there her gate is because she lives on a farmland very secluded and danny is kind of the same way how we explained uh chrissy where she's very um you know she's packed up she she got her guns she got her protection Mm -hmm. around her farm and she's ready to go it's on site so when they get there danny's gate is just wide open and lynette's like that's that's strange because Danny wouldn't do that. Yeah. And um, so then she asks Stephanie to get out of the car, push it open. And she does. She um, gets out there. Sh- they drive forward and they see smoke and they see that Danny is burning all of her belongings. Yeah. And Lynette's like, what are you doing? Like, what's going on? And Danny is just she's dealing with her trauma in the way that she thinks is best. She's literally burning all of her belongings because there's no reason for her to have all of those things that are attached to her wife's, um, to, you know, like, to her memory of her wife. Yeah, it's actually a really sad moment because it almost feels like you think Danny's about to kill herself. Like, she's done with life. Yeah, because she's standing so close to this bonfire of her own belongings. She throws a mattress in there and the flames mm-hmm. are just continuing to build and she's standing so close. And then that's like, you know, you have to get away. Um you know there's so much there's so much more to live for which is ironic because throughout this whole book there's also this like um contradicting idea where it's like life just goes like life just goes on Mm -hmm. there's nothing even when something bad happens to you you're not able to stop you just have to keep pushing exactly like you're just waiting for the next bad thing to happen yeah that's how it is like kind of portrayed yeah and so then lynette turns into this kind of um beacon of hope for danny when she's trying to say Mm -hmm. like you know you have people that love you all of the girls from the from the group like we all love you we you know life can get so much better than this everything like that Yeah, danny and lynette have a very close relationship because danny was like kind of the one who taught Lynette all of the backup plans that she needs to have because one of their like little sayings that she actually tells her when she's like saying that she's kind of done with her life is she's like you know one is none two is one 
And Lynette says that. She's like, I cannot do this alone. I need you. One is none. Two is one. And I feel like that really snaps Danny. She hears that kind of. And I think in that moment, she's remembering all the times that her and Lynette did like the shootings, like to practice how to shoot every time that Danny has been the protector of everyone mm-hmm. in the group. Because Danny's the oldest. Mm-hmm. Um, but this just gives Stephanie the perfect moment to, to take her spotlight. And I, does she, does she have a gun or is she, it's a gun? And so she, she shows her true colors in the fact that she's orchestrated this whole thing this whole time. Um, but you know, I think like even the century, honestly, (laughs) yeah, the victim turning into the perpetrator there we go (laughs) um and so you know she goes on her whole spiel about how um she's so sad to see danny go but it'll be so good to to watch her leave the world pretty much Mm -hmm. um and this whole time because i think um lynette is hit in the head with the butt of the gun and danny danny's shot right danny's shot and lynette gets shot yeah lynette gets shot and Sorry. Lynette gets <laughs> shot in the head. That's right. But mm-hmm. she has because of what happened in her accident. Yeah. Um, when she was 16, she has a metal plate. So the bullet doesn't actually like mess up too much yeah. in her skull. There is like a moment where she kind of is like, this is over for me. You kind of think she's going to die. Mm-hmm. And it's not like. But like if you're a lover of books or movies, you know that a plot can't just end right there. Yeah. And that's why when a plot does end right there that's why people talk about it Mm -hmm. is because how are you just going to end it right so um but at the same time as lynette is kind of in this in this state of borderline dying Mm -hmm. she's also thinking there has to be somebody else like there's no way that stephanie could have done all the things that she did alone because i mean for almost for like a, a chunk of this book she was with stephanie the whole time exactly so um they just does Stephanie drive to the campsite or is it Lynette? Yeah, Lynette is beat up. She got her legs ran over. Stephanie ran, runs over her legs. You know, she was shot in the head, but thankfully she survived. And Danny is missing right now. She was also attacked by Stephanie. And Stephanie is driving to the campsite because she reveals that she is working with Dr. Carol's son Mm -hmm. and that she's meeting him up there because they're in love and like they like they've been in contact this entire time and literally Lynette is broken up like but she uses Adrian as like a driving force to keep her going and she walks all the way to the campsite Mm -hmm. because she knows that every single girl who's there is at that campsite and the campsite also happens to be another site that like adrian built for just women in general who need an escape who have been in maybe they've been in domestic violence situation maybe any really intense situation where women need to feel empowered is where they go so she knows that it's not just the final girls who need help like this book is very much centered around like women empowerment which i think is very interesting because it is written by a man but he does i mean obviously i'm not a woman but like i think he does an amazing job at making it about women yeah and i mean the only reason that stephanie knows to go to the campsite is because that's where they were going to go after Danny. They were going to go pick up Danny and go to the campsite because mm-hmm. part of Lynette's plan was, um, like, if they were supposed to go to one place, but if that place didn't work out, then they would go to the campsite instead. Right. So that's kind of like Lynette's last leg, no no pun intended, <laughs> last leg of hope. It's like, I hope they're here because they... Something happens to where they're like, don't contact us again. Yeah. Like, all of the girls. They're very... Like, Lynette does something to drive everyone overboard. And they're like, don't contact us again. I think they might think that she's the killer. That, like, she's being framed again. It's because they found out... 
hold the manuscript. The manuscript. <gasps> yes, y'all. So she was the one who was writing the book earlier that they yeah. had mentioned. Yeah, and so you know they don't like Chrissy for the reason that Chrissy's always trying to make a quick buck off of their trauma, mm-hmm. and so then the killer actually leaks this manuscript that Lynette has been writing, and even in the book, Lynette recognizes that if it were to get out, it would make her look very very guilty but she i I mean i think she was doing it for her own therapy purposes like she wasn't even doing it to sell it she's had multiple people wanting to buy the book wanting her to to um write a book specifically about it and every time she's turned it down Mm -hmm. but she's had this manuscript on her hard drive and at some point in the book she does realize that it's missing and she's just hoping that it doesn't get out but it does get leaked and so then you know their their whole thought process is even if you're not the killer why would you do this to us we've we've been there for you this whole time she also talked lots of shit about literally every girl in the group it was like a diary honestly Mm -hmm. it was very personal lynette can be a little harsh when you're reading you will definitely see that Lynette, and because she has all these walls up, she doesn't like to be very emotional. And the only emotion she really does show is, like, kind of she is a bit of a harsh, mean person. Mm -hmm. Truly. Yeah. Um, And so they get, you know, they get to the campsite and um, she is walking through, like, the cafeteria or something. Mm -hmm. And she ends up seeing all these dead bodies of, of camp counselors Mm because they're preparing for the summer and um so she walks she continues to go through the campsite and she ends up finding the girls in a cabin yeah she sees danny first lying face down in the field Mm -hmm. and she runs well limps (laughs) over towards her um and no she actually found julia first because Julia's in a room. She hears banging in a room, like a little, like, movement. And then mm-hmm. she opens it, and Julia's there in her wheelchair. They are trying to leave the building because they know that there's girls down by, like, the lake. Mm-hmm. A group of girls down there. And Lynette's first thing is, we need to save them. They see Danny laying face down in the field, and they go to pick up Danny. And then there is just this man is how they describe it this man and like uh what is it called like i don't want to say armor Um, but like almost like block ops gear oh yeah machine gun and he is just sprinting towards them kind of like oh like um like paintball like the stuff to protect you when you're playing paintball and stuff yeah so then they run to the cabin and when they're running to the cabin they see all the other girls in the woods hiding Mm -hmm. Yeah, and so, you know, Lynette ends up meeting back up with everyone else. And they're still kind of like, why are you here? Like, we don't want to talk to you, da 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 But she's really there to just save them. And she lets them know real quick. Like, you can feel however you want about me in this moment, but right now... I only care that you all are safe, and I'm trying to help you to be safe. Right. Even though Lynette, like I did describe, is a bit harsh and kind of doesn't really show her love for the other girls, she has such a strong connection to them because there's no way that you wouldn't. Mm -hmm. They've all been through the same thing. Whether they like it or not, they're bound for life. And that's how she views it. And when one girl is attacked, it's an attack on all of them. And she kind of sees herself as like, I need to save you guys because you guys didn't trust me at first. And I knew that I was right this entire time and I'm not going to let anybody die. Yeah. And so after they've shut the door, they've locked the door. Lynette ends up like pressing a button or pulling a lever or something. Mm -hmm. And so all of the doors end up um like there's like a metal sheet that just slides down in front of each each window it's like really reinforced yeah and so then she takes the rug um you know she moves the rug off the floor and she opens the latch and everyone's like how do you even know this stuff is here and she's like oh you know i trained here one summer with adrian Mm -hmm. um and you know so i know like i know this campsite off the back of my hand right and so she goes she crawls into the the crawl space and she's like um She's like, I have to go find 
the girls that are yeah. down by the lake. Yeah, and she was like, these um, are just random girls. She doesn't even know. Like the like the campers mm-hmm. or camp camp counselors. Yeah. Um, and she's like, if I'm not back in this amount of time, like assume that I'm dead pretty much Mm -hmm. um and so she goes out and she's running through the woods and she eventually meets up with um his name's Skye yeah and um she's Dr. Carlson yeah she ends up meeting up with him but like in a sense that like she runs into him and he starts trying to kill her it's like this crazy like running through a building through a bunch of different doors Mm -hmm. like they're tripping and falling they're crushing things he's shooting his like machine gun at her and it's like this really intense intense like chasing so she's they're literally running being he's chasing her through this i don't even know it's like a bunch of corridors it's just a part of the camp building and it is so intense there are so many close calls where you think lynette is done for she slips and falls you know there's like a crystal room she slips on crystals falls like they're being crushed everywhere and then she gets to this hydrotherapy room and you're like oh no because it's, it's one the room, there's yeah. no exit, and he, she falls into a tub, and he's just standing over her, and she's about to go. He points the gun at her, and last minute, Heather jumps out of nowhere and knocks him, like, I don't even know what she has. She has something in her hand and just whacks the fuck out of him, mm-hmm. and he's just down for the count, and they're standing there. And they're debating on whether they should kill Skye or not. And Lena is like, I don't want anyone to die. Like, Girl, you don't... didn't want anyone to die when you right. were about to die. Come right. On. Like, the whole time I was like, girl, kill him. But, you know. Um, and then Stephanie's there. And she's holding a gun at the back of Heather's head. And she's basically saying, like, I'm going to kill you. And Lynette's, like, sitting in the tub, like, oh, no. Like, what are we going to do? And... Lynette's basically sitting there and she's just like, you know, I'm going to talk to Stephanie. We already kind of had this bond and Stephanie kind of, she's sitting over there like, girl, I don't care what you're saying to me. And <laughs> you're dying one way or the other. For real. Cause Lynette is literally saying you're being used just like everybody else. Like all we are as final girls, all we are ever done is be like, we've only been used. And she tries to use that to manipulate her to kill Sky herself. She's like, just kill him. Get the middle man out of the way. You'll get all of the fame for this. Don't let another man get all the credit. And you see, like, there's just, like, this moment where Stephanie's really debating it. You're like, oh, she's about to kill Sky, And Lynette just lunges at her and knocks her down. And then she's handcuffed all the other girls show up and stephanie's handcuffed you know lynette literally would not let her go until the other girls got her down like they were not she was not going down without a fight oh yeah because she was like she was holding her with like all of her limbs like Mm -hmm. she was holding her down literally her arms and legs crossed around her she was like like, wiggling writhing all kinds of stuff yeah it was crazy and like Basically, they both are handcuffed, you know, the girls are reuniting, and then it's kind of like a flash-forward moment to, like, what happens after the fact of, like, they survived, they're survivors, and it's a really touching moment where they kind of all, like, meet up at, you notice that they're at, uh state penitentiary, Or, like, a mental, a mental facility or something like that. Yeah. And, um, they're there, all of the girls are there to see Stephanie. Mm-hmm. And they're kind of just there to talk to her and start the final girl support group. With Stephanie. Um, and so that is our, our rendition of the final girl support group as a book. But there's things that we didn't even mention yeah. because, I mean... <laughs> You really just get excited about talking about a book mm-hmm. like this, and you forget not not unimportant details, but just secondhand details, you know. Yeah. Um, and but you know we covered the basis, we covered for sure the majority of the story, and so now I really want to talk about. You mentioned it a few times, Noah, just mm-hmm. um, in terms of the the feminist aspect of the book, yes. um, but more specifically, I wanted to talk about the the spotlight that Grady Hendrix put on women's anxieties mm. because even though I mean like 
the story is set up where it's like of course these these women have anxieties about moving about their daily life but even if they weren't final girls they would still they would still be on alert Right. The way that they, the way that they are, and so as as you're reading it, um, and you're reading the character of Lynette, she is positioned as this character who is very overwhelmed with life as itself, mm-hmm. um, and very protective of of her body and her mind. But you also kind of sit back and think, she's not she's not too far off in terms yeah. of what can happen, and so. I there was a quote specifically and she I said it a little bit before but specifically it says um I don't wear headphones I don't wear sunglasses I make sure my jacket is tight so there's nothing to snag and then I say goodbye to my plant take a deep breath step out of my apartment and face a world that wants me dead and so that quote itself is kind of like every time you leave your house as a woman you're afraid of of what could happen you know like and I think me and Nellie talked about it a little bit when we talked about fresh Mm -hmm. where it was kind of like you you know in the world of online dating specifically you have to be very like you can't you can't date normally there's no normal dating for women because you're constantly afraid of that one guy it only takes one guy that you that you're meeting up with for the whole date to turn completely wrong completely lopsided Mm -hmm. they take advantage of you um you know and even in in the same movie where noah was walking to her car with her keys in her hands and stuff like that Mm -hmm. so it's very I think he he did a really good job in terms of grasping the idea of these anxieties that women have, but putting them on characters who already have, like, their anxieties and their trauma kind of intersect, you know? Right. Yeah, he did an amazing job at describing the harsh and scary realities of being a woman in today's age. And he also there are many times where you think oh this man is going to help Lynette there are so many different times like we said earlier we really didn't even cover everything that goes on in the book because it is just a chaotic like crazy story but there are so many times where you think oh maybe this guy's the good guy Mm -hmm. and he is not a good guy at all he always has ulterior motives and I almost love that it shows the reality of that because I mean it's sad to say but it's the truth is you always kind of have to have a little bit of doubt in your mind because of the world that we live in you don't have to be a final girl to be scared of men and it's kind of like when Lynette met Skye first of all Skye's a little bit younger than her Mm -hmm. so as she was talking about him I'm like girl please move on look somewhere else yeah he's like in his mid-20s yeah and she's in her 40s but at the same time she was talking about how, you know, there are tech, like verbatim, there are no good men. He might seem nice. He might seem, um, you know, like level headed. But mm-hmm. at the same time, once you really get to know a man, is he is there really any good guy out there? Right. Um, and so another quote that really y'all this book is just filled with quotes that I like. <laughs> oh, my God. Um, another quote was. You don't want someone angry at you, especially a man. So you say yes to things you don't want to do because there's no roadmap for where you are, nothing to guide you, except a neon sign in your head that says, do not make men angry. Mm -hmm. And so I think this is more commenting on the, like, blaming yourself and, and enabling the behaviors of men because you're internalizing, like, if I just move, if I just move about life differently, then that's less, that's less eggs that I have to step on around men. Right. And, you know, throughout this book, you really do see, like, um, Lynette, when she was dating the police officer in charge of her case, she fell into this very abusive relationship because he was taking advantage of her, and yet she didn't want to make him mad, she didn't want to upset him because, I think, one, she was afraid of him turning around and and harming her the way she had been harmed before. Yeah. But also, she was at a point in her life where she just didn't feel very loved. And afraid of not being able to find that love again, she was willing to accept the behavior of that police officer um, in exchange for feeling loved. Very true. Very true. Um, 
so another thing that I this book is like packed with the idea of commodifying trauma victims trauma not only just women but I think the choice of making all most of the characters women was intentional but you know in our reality Mm -hmm. you have all these horror movies and they're not you know they're not all real especially the slasher films the slasher films are not real but i read somewhere where grady hendrix based this book off of um alfred hitchcock's psycho which was inspired by um oh my gosh was it edward edward gaines the edward gaines murders mm-hmm. um where which i think edward gaines inspired a lot of movies he was inspired he inspired texas chainsaw massacre as well um and So, you know, in the Edward Gaines murders, there were victims. Mm -hmm. But look at everything that those victims, they weren't final girls, but they've still inspired something. Exactly. But those families have had to live that trauma. Those families have had to relive every time someone makes a movie or, you know, is inspired. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. And so in the book, you know, when when there's another final girl, you have all of these vipers running to her saying, let's do a movie deal. Let's do a movie deal. And not all of them have agreed to do it. And one thing that is notable about Adrian that Lynette talks about is the way that Adrian did say yes. But in the end, she had control over it. She was, I think she produced the movie. She had a say on how they were portrayed. And in the end, all of the money that she made from it was put into that campsite that she built. Um, I think that, like you were saying, um, the book had these really cool little things um, between not every single chapter, but between chapters where it did touch on the commodification of trauma specifically final girls because the book is about final Mm -hmm. girls but it was very interesting to read because it was like you got a glimpse into the girls lives before this book because it was little snapshots of like adrian in an interview talking about i wish that i had quotes but it would literally be just her talking about how what happened to them is not something that needs to be portrayed in the media because it's just another way to consume the terrors and traumas that women go through and at the end of the day when people see these movies or when people read these books or you know take in this media they don't think about the girls afterwards Mm -hmm. nobody thinks what are they doing right now though how are they living their lives after experiencing this it's just they're used as a marketing ploy and you know they did this badass sexy like you know they killed their killer and then that's it that's the Mm -hmm. end of the movie and you don't know what happens next for them yeah and Lynette comments on this a lot um especially when Stephanie is made into a final girl and she sees it on the news mm-hmm. um you know she says something about um like a 16 year old's brace face um pre you know pre-puberty mm-hmm. is shown to the world and you know made into this kind of like um like this hero that's then molded into what everybody else wants her to be and so when adrian dies um lynette says adrian's face is all over the news it's been a long time since anyone cared about a living final girl but i guess a dead one really brings the circus into town and so i just i really do love the way that grady hendrix kind of weaved these thoughts and emotions into the story and the characters themselves um this story has a lot of unique characters and each of them i think each of them you could say is defined by their way of dealing with their trauma you know you have heather the um the the alcoholic you have marilyn who is an alcoholic but also 
she's chosen a life in the spotlight because yeah. I think there's a part of her that feels like she needs to stay relevant. She's a socialite, mm -hmm. true and true. Yeah, and then you have Danny who has taken it upon herself to just be like this this brooding like um like militant type of person. Yeah. Um and you know the the list goes on, but that's one thing that I do like about the book is just how distinctive each character is and how Grady Hendrix really builds up the character of Lynette. There were times where I felt like I didn't you didn't really know enough about Lynette. Like she was only right. giving you those crumbs of information specifically about her backstory. Um but the way that the book is structured itself you see how you know like in between each chapter you got a picture or like a um like an excerpt from an interview or a newspaper mm -hmm. article giving you more and more information just about each girl themselves yeah. um and so I, I really liked the way that the book was physically made i really like grady hendrix um way of writing and you know his tone i felt yes. like it was such it was such a fast-paced book and mm -hmm. very fast-paced very descriptive too yeah very descriptive yeah and you know i feel like that's something you have to have when you're writing horror yes. is being but even then i felt like the the more gruesome details weren't too descriptive you know right like it wasn't it wasn't overbearing or anything um what what did you like specifically about the book i feel like we kind of literally just said what i liked about the book but i loved just the flow of everything because i find myself like as a reader i do have adhd so sometimes i'll literally read like three chapters take a break like chill like wait a little bit like maybe a few hours and i'll read again mm -hmm. this is one of those books where you pick it up and you are reading chapter after chapter after chapter i was listening to this like dark ambient soundtrack <laughs> y'all if you read this book which you should literally read it right now <laughs> but um it i was very enthralled you're on the edge of your seat like the visualization is going through my head you know it was great imagery it was just the overall tone of the entire book kind of leaves you with an anxious feeling while mm -hmm. you're reading it i couldn't even shake it afterwards like i'd finish reading for a little bit and i'd still feel a little bit anxious because of what i had just read yeah and a lot of people or i mean i don't even want to say a lot but on my bookstagram i've seen other people talk about the final girl support group and while some people absolutely love it some other people don't they feel like it does lack originality because of hendrix draw from um current day horror movies that you know like the fictional wow. stories that have been created um and they actually say that riley sager's um final girls book is better because i think it's more original um but i mean that was an aspect that i liked about it as yeah. someone who loves horror movies it made it so much easier to visualize the things that were going on and um just like references that they made and i think that's something that humans enjoy is when you know you find those references that you're familiar with and you're like oh yes. i know that one like i i i get it because mm -hmm. um, you know the story even though mm -hmm. it's not the entire story you know the story that you're reading already you feel kind of like maybe like a little bit a part of it like mm -hmm. you're like oh yes like i already know kind of what's about to happen or what we're describing right now you don't feel lost yeah and i definitely like Grady Hendrix doesn't just take these horror movies that we all love and that we've all grown up with and just throw them into his book no, no. he still finds a way of making them unique to the universe he's building mm -hmm. on top of creating horror stories for you know that are specific for this book like Lynette's story was yeah she had characteristics that were similar to neve campbell mm -hmm. in scream and you know other other movies but yet you know lynette's actual story of of her trauma was 
you know, she was she was impaled by reindeer ears in her house on Christmas and her killer dressed up as Santa. And so it was very much like I enjoyed the creativity that he put into it. Now, after like reading it and then Scream 5 came out. I can say that the ending is very similar to Scream 5. If you haven't seen it, I won't say too much. Just, you know, to give you an opportunity. But it it reminds me of Scream 5. And so it's even more of like a... I mean, not even a lack of originality. Because this this movie, or this book came out in 2021. Right. Um, but yeah, I just... I definitely love the, the way that he pays homage to... Um, those things that horror movie fans really yeah, do love. it's very nostalgic. Mm-hmm. Um, you can't be mad at nostalgia. Come on. Now, how you said that you're not a first-person point-of-view type of person. I yeah. am. Um, Ooh, okay. I love a good I love a good first-person. Like, let me know how you're feeling. I want to, mm-hmm. like, literally... I want my toes in your shoes. <laughs> um, I My least favorite point-of-view would probably be, um, like, a third-person... Mm, third person limited type right. of point of view um so I, I think that the point of view really worked for this for this story because even though it was from Lynette's point of view you still learned what you what you needed to know about all the, all of the yes, other girls that is one thing that I will say because I do personally love a good third person narrative I like when it's third person because you get to learn about each individual character without bias but i think that what was so great about the way that grady hendrix wrote this was you do get a little bit of bias from lynette on her point of view of things but also you get still the deep dives in every single character's Mm -hmm. story you hear all of their stories it's not limited to just what lynette's going through it's them as a whole the final girls now did you have anything that you didn't like about this book Hmm. i kind of want you to go first (laughs) i only really have one thing and Mm -hmm. i did not like the therapist's reaction um when lynette came into her house i felt like as someone who you have known for at least 15 years you should i now, Dr. Carol did not know what Lynette was coming to her with. Right. But it was hard to empathize with Dr. Carol because while I understood why she was getting upset and why she was like, you can't do that in my house and stuff like that, it's like, as her therapist, like, you should know her trauma responses. Yes. And uh, you should be able to pick up on, okay, um, like, you know, do what you need to protect your children and protect your home. But if you've invited her into her into your house, then you should keep those things in mind. Mm-hmm. And so everyone is protected at the same time. I do think that the writing of Dr. Carol was very stereotypical, like clinical professional you know like she didn't have much depth as a character we didn't really get to see her other than her even though you do see her like at home or whatever you don't actually get to see her have in-depth emotions Mm -hmm. she's very to the point like she's very static as a character yes and i do Mm -hmm. have to agree with that i did not like her portrayal yeah but I mean, all in all, I don't even think when I wrote my Goodreads review, I literally said, you know, I typically always find at least one thing to hate, but with this book, you know, there's nothing. But sometimes I feel like I just really need to give myself some time to like sit with a book and then try to review it because it wasn't until coming up with the notes for this episode where I was like, you know, I really don't like the way that she reacted because I felt like as a clinical professional you should have reacted better yeah. and like not made her feel crazy for the way that she was processing her yes, emotions because it definitely does play into you thinking that it is dr carol because she does not care about what's going on really mm-hmm. you feel like she doesn't because she's very much like you're being delusional lynette this is not normal behavior and it's like you're a clinical professional like you should not be 
handling the situation the way that you are currently. Yeah. So that's all that I didn't like. I guess that's all. Yeah, that's all I didn't like. I feel like right now, I just finished it, like, last week. Mm -hmm. So I'm kind of still in the honeymoon phase (laughs) with her. (laughs) The cupcake phase. Yeah, I might have to read it again to get a little bit of a deeper sense of, Mm -hmm. like, what I do and don't like. Well, then, all right. I loved that conversation. I'm Mm -hmm. so glad we finally got to talk about it. I know. I'm glad that you liked it because Mm -hmm. I just, when people ask me, like, who my, like, what my favorite book is, I always say this book just because I feel like it's representative of a lot of things for me specifically. It's, it's a very good book. I really, like I said, like, I had high expectations because you had recommended it. Mm -hmm. Um, but I normally, like, I kind of keep my book recommendations to myself because I'm a little worried that, yeah. like, someone won't like the book that I like. But I feel like this book is so well written. Like, you can't not enjoy reading it, at least. It yeah. might not be your favorite book, but it definitely is a good read. Y'all hear that? Right. Next time, take my recommendations. Purr, get into <laughs> it. All right, then. Well, thank you all for taking the time to listen to this episode. I hope that we've inspired you to read the final girl support group or at least add it to your tbr um because it is worth the read um you can always catch me on goodreads and on instagram noah would you like to plug yourself in i would um please hold yeah holding (laughs) noah's goodread will be linked in the linked in the show notes um and his instagram my instagram is no period (laughs) u three h's and a b Ah. (laughs) (laughs) all right once again thank you for listening to this episode and i hope to catch you next time